Podglomerate original. Andrew, this is something I've never heard of before. This is a Wednesday night stand-up show. Wait, there's more. Takes place outdoors. It's like a bar crawl, but it's stand-up comedy on the move. This all began when a legendary indie show ended its run and the venue closed down. Why don't we just keep the community together? This is comedian Howard Kramer. And we'll just start doing the show 10 feet away from where we used to do it. And it'll be in that back parking lot. This small parking lot was behind Meltdown Comics, which was this huge comic book store on Sunset Boulevard that for six years hosted this influential and now legendary show called The Meltdown. And when that show finished up, everyone thought, oh, that's it. And a lot of people thought it was just a joke at first, but it was the very week after the last show. We were up and running and a handful of people came. I think it was less than 10. And this community of people, regulars, started coming and bringing chairs and uh, making, like, electrified signs. We called it Squat Melt because we were squatters and it was Nerd Melt. And a DJ started showing up with his own speaker. And everybody just started kicking in and, and kind of making it a really fun thing to do. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Steven, Brody Steven. <laughs> What a great crowd you are. I want to say thank you for being here. I am on FaceTime right now with my mother. Say hello to her. She is uh, fell asleep inside of Chico's. So uh, this is her only way to communicate. Um, I've not been on, first of all, I've not been on stage probably for, I don't know, a week. So I want to say thank you for letting me be back here at this great show. It's show number nine, is it? What? And I've done about seven of them. And it, and it means a lot to me. It's, it and then um, we did it there for about six months. And then the building was taken over by a new entity and they said, hey, you can't be here. You're an insurance risk. So when they bounced us out of there, I thought, well, let's find another comedy club that closed down. And we could say that this is, you know, tomorrow's superstars at yesterday's comedy venues. <laughs> So we moved over to the Steve Allen Theater, and we did that for six months. And then on our one-year anniversary show, they kicked us out of there, and then we took it mobile. We thought, uh, they can't shut us down if we're just on the move. It's pretty amazing to think about a that someone would start a show sort of out of the ashes of a former show. That, and that must speak to the impact of the Meltdown show. Yeah, that's why we're dedicating this entire episode to the meltdown. So let's go back to 2011. Welcome to the History of Stand-Up, the show where comedian and professor... Adjunct. Yes. Teaches us all a little bit more about the history of stand-up. And I'm your fellow student, Andrew Steven. So the meltdown show with Jonah and Kumail... Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Well, the the, the, the space would become known as Nerd Melt. Right. The show was called The Meltdown with Jonah Kumail. The Meltdown. Right. Yeah. That's Jonah Ray. So um, before it was Jonah Kumail, you had a show there, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Jonah Ray's Meltdown. So that was the first one. So there was there was Comedy Meltdown, which was Linda Pine. Uh-huh. So she started doing a monthly show there because uh, Gaston, the owner of the place, wanted to do a show. My name is Gaston Dominguez Letelier. I own Meltdowns. It's 14,000 square feet of comics, toys, and, uh, you know, a theater. Ever since Janine Garofalo and her buddies kicked off the alternative comedy scene in the early 90s, there's been multitude of venues used 
to host these shows. Yeah, like bookstores or bowling alleys, laundromats, living rooms. So it's not weird they're doing a show in a converted storage room in the back of a comic book store. What was incredible was how well that venue worked for stand-up. Thanks, guys. This is John Early performing at Meltdown. Oh, wow. This is called sweater acting. Here we go. Sweater acting. Hey. I just want to say I think it's really cool what you did back there. Those guys were jerks. And she can defend herself. I mean, how could she? She's blind. Anyway, I should get... <laughs> right, my name, I always forget. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was Blake Lively. Thank you. That was Amy Jo Johnson in Felicity. That was Nev Campbell in everything she's ever done. It's very much, it's, it's acting from the collarbone, right? It's the vocal quality of choking on almond milk. I do remember it being great even back then. Here's Howard Kramer again. Just like, oh wow, there's all those hard surfaces back there. There's so much uh, place for the sound to bounce around so that even with a small crowd, you always felt like you were killing there. It's the kind of place that would boost your self-esteem. Linda did it for another few months. One, you know, once just once a month, once a show, so three more shows. And then she said, hey, I'm going to end the show. I want you to come back and host the final one. So I came back, hosted it. Gaston, the owner of Meltdown, he was he was he say, "Hey, dude, you know you gotta you gotta keep this up. This can't die. It's 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 pretty much your show anyway. So you, you start doing it." How long did that last? As just you hosting it? Uh, I probably did it for almost a year, I think. And was uh, it monthly that whole time? Yeah, it was still monthly. And that's when Faith stepped in, Kumail Nanjiani. And his wife, Emily Gordon, who had worked together with Jonah in New York, came to Los Angeles looking to start a show. So when we moved to L.A., we were like, hey, we know this guy. And so the two of us started hanging out with Jonah and his then-girlfriend, Deanna. This is Emily Gordon. And we were going to go to dinner, and I was like, I can't meet. I have to go look at this venue because I have to find a show to do in L.A. because I don't see the kind of show I want I don't see the kind of place I like to hang out in. If comedy is my social life, I'm not okay. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a show for myself and Kumail's gonna host it. That's just what we had decided was gonna happen. Right. And I had been looking at venues. None of them really felt right. They said, we're gonna go check out this place called St. Nick's. And I was like, why are you going to St. Nick's? They're like, well, we kind of want to figuring, maybe trying to put together like a weekly comedy show. We, we were told St. Nick's has a space. I was like, but that space sucks. That's the upstairs That's space. the upstairs room. I and I was like, I was like, Sari Carplus tried it. It didn't work. Howard Kramer eventually tried it. Didn't work. People have tried and it doesn't work. It's too, it's too wide and it's too shallow. It doesn't work. And so I was like, I was like, don't go. But if you're thinking about doing a weekly show, I've been really wanted to change my show to be weekly. And Jonah and Kamala at that dinner were like, yeah, we can host together. It'll be fine. It'll be great. It was like, Emily is going to handle the production and the booking, which is the hard part. This is Kumail Nanjiani. And then Jonah and I will come and just 
say stupid stuff. So we decided, I think we started the show maybe like three weeks later. We would decide we would do it every week. Yeah. We chose Wednesday because there weren't any other shows going on. If we're going to have the amount of comics that we needed to book it every single week and make it diverse and not make it too repetitive, we needed to make sure comics were in town. And so moving it from Friday to Wednesday gave us anybody because that's when they're all back home. Kumail and I couldn't... We didn't ever figure out what we were going to do, and so we're like, okay, whatever, we'll just go up together. Jonah and I decided we're going to roast each other. Which I wasn't too stoked on. Because my life is basically a roast. No, but it's fun. It comes from a place of love. Feels like a bad idea for my self-esteem, but I'm, I'm game. All right. Jonah. Jonah Ray's here tonight. <laughs> Jonah, you dressed like a kid that got struck by lightning that turned him into an adult suddenly. <laughs> Jonah started his own comedy record label. An admirable feat for someone 50 years ago. Good luck, I hope you signed George Carlin. <laughs> it's fun, right? It's not fun. All right, you roast me, roast me. It'll be fun. Just roast me. Okay. Kumail is here, everybody. Kumail Nanjiani. <laughs> a lot of people say he's a huge, arrogant asshole who thinks it's okay to hurt his friends. They're right. <laughs> well, like, we'll figure out, like, maybe next week you just do it. Uh, and then I was like, and then I'll, what, do I do a set? And he's like, yeah. Well, one person hosts and the other gets to do a set. And then, and then, a week went by and we didn't figure out exactly what the plan was, so we just hosted it together again. The fact that it was a store and then there was just one door in the back that led to this room, I thought, what a cool thing. It feels like a secret space. It's not advertised anywhere. So that made it feel kind of like a clubhouse. There's just a riot of stickers. It kind of reminded me of a punk club in that way, that there were just stickers layered everywhere. And it just had this like warmth to it. Baseball is my favorite sport. I love it so much. And I love it for a couple of reasons. I love it because it's old, it's slow, and nobody likes it. This is Rhea Butcher. I'm an only child. I like to be alone. The things that I like. I mean, this is why people don't like baseball. A perfect game in baseball is when nothing happens. I, I've been playing uh, baseball on weekends. I play on just a little team. I love to tell people, oh, I've been playing baseball. And nine times out of 10, that person will say to me, don't you mean softball? <laughs> exactly, Meltdown. <laughs> exactly. And it is so sexist that don't you mean softball? It's like the sexism is twofold in that statement. Ah, a double play, if you will. <laughs> Thank you. When you say to someone, oh, don't you mean softball? Is that people think women are so stupid. We don't even know what sport we're actively playing. Uh, so it was a venue that I had been doing these shows with Sax Carr at. This is James Adomian. But it was, um, you know, it was like one of many, you know, kind of stand-up shows that just sort of takes over a place. And, uh, and I think then it would have been... 2010 or 11 that they moved in and started doing the meltdown this was in this was the fun fun fact about uh the meltdown show they booked me on the very first one i'm on the first poster my name's on the first poster 
but I had forgotten that I had a road gig in Atlanta. And so I had to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't be at the very first Meltdown show. And it was like, uh, the Meltdown with Jonah Kumail featuring Mark Marin, James Adomi. I was like second build. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry. I forgot. I have a headlining gig on the road I forgot about. I knew our show was successful pretty fast. The first week to me was like, oh, my God, people are here. Amazing. Second week, people showed up. I was like, okay. The third week, LA Times showed up and sat on the floor. Uh, when I was in college, me and my best friend, Sam, were sitting there high. This is Steve Agee. And, and I mean like college high. We're sitting around my apartment, and we were desperately, for 45 minutes, trying to remember the name of the actress who played the receptionist in Ghostbusters. <laughs> 45 minutes! We're just, it's two of us sitting there going, ah, don't talk, it's on the tip of my tongue, dude. <laughs> After 45 minutes, out of nowhere, my friend just gives up and goes, Screw it, I'm gonna make soup. <laughs> that was weird because no one ever cooked in my apartment. So he gets up and he goes into the kitchen and I hear him digging around and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he goes, hey man, do you have any pots? <laughs> I go, yeah, dude, nice one, nice save, you got it. And he's like, he doesn't realize it. He's like, what? I go, Annie Potts, the actress, her name was Annie Potts. <laughs> He realized what happened, and he comes out of the kitchen trembling, like convulsing. He's like, dude, what just happened? And then I realize it, and I start shaking. I'm like, dude, I don't know. That's crazy, right? Try telling me there's no God after hearing that. I picture him up in heaven watching us going, you idiots, it's Annie Potts. People are starving, and they need my help, but I'm invested in this now. Uh, okay, think. Uh, okay, um, uh, all right, I'll make the uh, little one crave soup, and then I'll hide the fat guy's pots, and, and then I'm gonna invent the internet because I don't have time for this incidental bullshit. The Good Club is a weird intangible. That's the voice of Dana Gould. First, it was Luna Park on Robertson, where we would do Uncabaret every Sunday night. And you would go to Uncabaret on a Sunday night in the early 90s, and you would see Andy Kindler, Bob Odenkirk, Kathy Griffin, Janine Garofalo, Andy Dick, you, you, Julia Sweeney. You'd see all of these people at the, at the height of their abilities. And there was an intangible magic in that room. And then that moved. And then, like, hey, they're doing sets, of, they're doing shows at Largo. Largo? Really? Yeah. On Fairfax? Yeah. All right. And then you go, oh, wait, it's moved. Then there's this place on Franklin, the, the theater next to the birds. That does comedy now. It's a UCB theater. Oh, and you go there and then like, oh, it's here now. And then for two years, it was at the UCB. And then, hey, they're opening a room in the back of, of Meltdown. And I immediately went, oh, that's going to be great because it was Meltdown. And then you go, there, oh, it's here now. It's here now. You know, that was great, especially because it was a comic book store. It was, the vibe was there. There was no bar. It wasn't there to sell booze. And they had just Christmas lights hanging. Like, it really was like getting in a hot tub. You know, it's like, ah, this is great. Kurt Braunohler! I know what you guys are thinking, obviously. 
Look at this big man on campus. What a fucking narcissist and egotist. Come up here and just take all your applause and eat it up like it feeds my soul. My new children's book, IBM, UBM, we all BM, about a pooping computer was deemed too dumb to exist by the New York Times. Don't clap for that! <laughs> Saw a sniffer dog at the airport with a boner. What a Samantha. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Was the inventor a lip balm? Just like, I love chapstick, but how could I get my dirty fingers involved? But I remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> the room was perfect. Like, I just loved it. This is Pete Holmes. Even if I wasn't performing, I'd go. And I'm not that really that kind of guy. But I just loved it. It was never... Saw Robin Williams there. I don't know why the hangout vibe happened. I think because at that time in LA, there were not a lot of shows and venues that were comfortable to hang out in. There weren't a lot of DIY spaces in LA in 2010. And I think people who had been hanging out at the improv and were like, these drinks are too expensive. What am I doing? I think those people ended up shifting to where we were. And what a blessing. That was something I, that was something I never intended to be part of it, but it was... So cool, so cool. I remember it just became like really popular. Like you knew it was gonna be sold out. Howard Kramer again. It became harder to get spots just because there were so many people and really big people, you know. The Jinx is my favorite show ever that I hope doesn't win an Emmy. This is John Mulaney. Because, no, for real, because who's gonna win the Emmy? That Andrew Jarecki and the, the HBO people? I don't have this much venom for him, but <laughs> all those people are gonna get up there and get an Emmy. And who should get an Emmy? Our little friend, our dear friend Bobby the Jinx, should win every Emmy that's ever been invented. He has been more, this guy is so good at being on TV. Did you see the Jinx? <laughs> did you see it, young girl, did you see the Jinx? This guy, this guy, this guy killed three people and yet you'll watch it, young lady, and you'll go, I like this guy. Why do I like this guy? How old are you? I'm 13. You're 13, perfect age. You'll be sitting there and you go, look at me, I'm 13 and I love this guy. And I asked, what's your name? Lucy. Lucy, that's great. So I, I asked my wife, I was like, why do people keep marrying the jinx? And she went, oh, I get it. <laughs> I think as far as the show's going well, big part of it was that it had, and this sounds silly, low ceilings. Low wooden ceilings, concrete floor, the bounce uh, and the, of the laughter, it just, it was quick and it just vibrated the room. Of course it was the booking, it was Kumail and I, it was Ed Salazar high-fiving everybody just because we thought it was funny. to high-five everyone that came in uh, to introduce the show, to, to play like loud music and the goof off. Go. How are you doing? Can I get your number? I am single. I'm handsome. Yeah. There's a lot of like dumb, silly things that brought a lot of energy to it, um, but a lot of that kind of 
It was the, the shape of the room. It was just the way it sounded. You know, you walk into that comic book store and... Uh, Here's Nick Kroll. I mean, what I loved about it was how low the ceilings were. That's about as low a ceiling as I've, I think I've dealt with in comedy. And there's something about a super low ceiling that just keeps the room, the laugh close and keeps the room really hot. A low ceiling and proximity to the stage is important because stand-up comedy is not a performance. It is a conversation in which the comedian does all of the talking. That's why we're so good in relationships. But you need that interaction with the audience. If you look at pictures of people performing at Meltdown, they're literally feet from the audience, like three, four feet from the audience. Can I try to tell some jokes and crowd surf? I'll never get to crowd surf. This is Rory Scoville. Please don't drop me. We're in the middle of a song right now. kind of were like oh this is a thing how early on did you start thinking you wanted to put this on television mike rosenstein mm -hmm. who worked for red hour at the time ben stiller's production company i saw he he would just be at the show a lot he yeah. would just be backstage he's a lovely human being i saw him in our first anniversary photos i saw him like eating cake and i was like oh mike was there i didn't realize somewhere around the second year mike was like this could be a tv show and we were like whatever and he was like no seriously this could be a tv show the pitch of the show was it's you get to see your favorite stand-ups hanging out as well as doing material. That's it. It's an existing stand-up show. Boom. And we pitched it all over town. When we pitched it to Comedy Central, they were like, oh, well, okay, where are you guys going to shoot it? And we're like, well, this, this, we're going to shoot it at the store. A lot of comedy shows, you know, they, they'll bring the show to TV where our idea was like, we're going to bring TV to our show. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Jonah Ray, Thanks for coming to the Meltdown. It's so weird to me that we have our own Comedy Central show. That's part of what's genius about the show is that because of podcasts, you now get to hear stand-ups hanging out and talking to each other, which was a way, before you'd only ever seen stand-ups material. Yes! Voted! Holmes, you got it! Feel it! Yes! In the valley! Push. I Eiffel. was in the hangover! I, well, I don't talk about that anymore, but I was. Why don't you do that anymore? That's the old Brody! This is a clip from Comedy Central's The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail, filmed backstage with Pete Holmes and Brody Stevens riffing before his set. I'm gonna do this show. What do you think about this show? I'll do it here, and then I'll do it out there. Here it is. Uh, my television show, enjoy it. It actually got reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. My TV show got reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. It got four pickles. <laughs> no, nothing? Four All right. Four pickles is funny. I got a laugh in the dressing. I didn't know four pickles was good. Way to hate, guys. You got it. Positive push. I'm feeling great. I'm intense. I get road rage at a car wash. I've done it. Give me wax. My show, I had a show on Comedy Central, and it actually got reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it got four pickles, and um, new bit, new bit, I tried it out. I mean, come on, you gotta give me a chuckle based off Cadence alone. I'm pushing it. 
they really did it right. They had the cameras in the room in a way that was not obtrusive and didn't make everybody but like clam up. Here's James Adomian again. I, I I had this sheriff of Nottingham character I was doing basically an homage to the iconic Alan Rickman sheriff of Nottingham. And uh, I developed this bit at Meltdown and other shows that were big in LA at the time where I would just show up and be like, It is I, the sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> Silence, you fools! Oh. And uh, so I did that on the Meltdown TV show. Because I realized there's not a lot of places I could do that bit on TV, but it would kill. You know what? That's actually perfect. It's a welcoming environment. I assure you I am authorized to conduct investigations, to round up and deal with as I desire. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Something goes wrong and you give a, oh, that was wrong, and you get a laugh out of it. And it was so fun that I got to, and I didn't plan for this to happen, but my wig fell off as I'm leaving, as I'm exiting this <laughs> I think everybody brought their weird shit to us a little bit, which I think, like Neil Brennan specifically, for the first season of our show, did his three mics bit that he then did as a special. Tonight I'm doing something where I'm actually gonna do, I'm ha setting three mics, something I've always wanted to do, three mics. One is gonna be for regular bits. One mic is gonna be for bits that don't have very much, just like orphans, just like one liner. And then the middle is gonna be for true emotional things. We're gonna start with orphans. Must be nice to be old because you can wear like a Band-Aid on your face for no reason. Um, I've had two girls break up with me in the last year and I like, fuck, I cried really hard and usually I cry because when I break up with girls because I feel guilty, but this time I cried because I, like, I felt like loss. Look, these computers are too powerful, am I right? <laughs> Just these phones and computers are great, but they're too powerful. We're, turn we're all like Roman emperors now. Just on our computers all day. On Facebook and YouTube. Don't like. That I like. Incoming call. Ignore. <laughs> we gotta figure this out, because we have people giving these that are not qualified. Because I was on YouTube Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, dun, 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 like the most famous song of all time. 10,000 dislikes on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not kidding, that many people are like, your music stinks, bro, and I know music, I'm from Tampa. Thumbs down. <laughs> Moshe Kasher, I think, is one of my favorite, was one of my favorites to watch uh, at Meltdown. That's amazing. I'm the best looking comic. I, th I think I'm the best looking comic. Not of all, but tonight or whatever. <laughs> How do you think I look? Do you think I look, what do you think? What do you think? I like the look? I feel like I look good. Clown. <laughs> <laughs> what? You look, you look like a clown. All right. No, I, I think you're pretty good, but I just, you look like a French clown. You look, doesn't he look like a French clown? Look, take off your glasses. Take off his glasses. Dude, I don't want to do, I'm trying to do a TV look, set. Look, you should be doing mime or something, not comedy. Take off the glasses. The glasses. <laughs> 
a French clown. It was great to see people get excited for him more and more the more he came back to do the show because they knew it was going to be something interesting and new every single time. Who are some of the other comedians that you felt really captured the spirit of the meltdown? Uh, Baron Vaughn. Eating and breathing have become unexpectedly dangerous in my life. I'm actually going to stop calling my allergies that. That's a wimpy name for something that might kill you out of nowhere. So I'm now going to call my allergies my... Police, exactly, because they might erase my existence and people will react the same way. Why'd you go outside that day? You guys know what I mean? Exact same disregard for human life. Okay, some of you with me. Meltdown was a place for so many creative comedians to thrive. Do you guys steal? This is a clip of Kate Berland. Who steals? So one person said no, so it's a coward right here somewhere. <laughs> No one steals, just a room full of nerds. <laughs> I steal in a very specific way. Um, I believe 100% that women have the right to steal cosmetics. Um, <laughs> completely, thank you. Absolutely. The situation is women sometimes, sometimes upon birth, are forced into an economy you have to pay for your own subjectivity constantly, right? So if you don't have certain creams, powders, lotions, um, the state won't recognize you. Um. So um, my name's Joe Mandy. I am a comedian, but I, uh, I, I go to a lot of rap shows. I'm a big fan of rap music, and I, uh, I've, I've, I felt like recently I need to just like bring that element of rap music that I love so much into my own live show. So lately, I've been doing this thing. Let me just see if this works. Great, so that does work. Uh, I'm gonna be kind of utilizing that tonight. Um, I'm really excited about it. It's a whole new venture in my live act. Uh, meltdown. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Comedy Central Meltdown. Kumail, Jonah, Emily, Emily, <laughs> Nerd Culture. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Nerd Culture. Nerd culture. Profiting from nerd culture. Yeah, cool. Cool. Just so... Just so we're being completely honest. Um, Brent Weinbach. I lived in a foreign country for a whole year. And in that time, I was able to learn the language, and I can now speak it fluently whenever I want to. And during that entire time, I lived in... England. <laughs> I never had the opportunity to perform stand-up comedy, so tonight I would like to perform stand-up comedy for you in English. <laughs> and even if you don't speak the language, like all foreign comedy, you can still perhaps find humor in my facial expressions. So, like, basically, um, I was with me mates, yeah? And uh, we was doing a game of chess, yeah? I mean, mate, he doesn't move and he says checkmate. But it's clearly not checkmate, it's just check. So I was all like, it's not checkmate, mate, it's just check. And my mates all like, yeah, I know, mate, I'm not saying checkmate, I'm saying check, mate. <laughs> Cause like, use me mate, yeah? 
And I was all like, what? I was like, that's what I'm trying to tell you, mate. It's not checkmate, mate. It's just checkmate. I also want to note that during the time that this Meltdown show started exploding, the converted storage room that became the theater at Meltdown Comics suddenly partnered with Chris Hardwick, and the whole theater is now renamed the Nerd Melt Showroom. Yeah, it was a, it was a combination of Nerdist and Meltdown Comics. But like Jonah had a connection to both entities, right? Chris Hardwick hosted the Nerdist podcast alongside Jonah Ray, and when they moved into the back room, they also built a podcast studio in the attic of Meltdown, and this whole store sort of became a clubhouse for this indie alt podcasting scene. Right, and when Hardwick and Nerdist came in, well, they upgraded that entire room. Yeah. When we were doing it, there was no air conditioning. There were plenty of obstructive views and the tech uh, area was in the middle of the room. Eventually, we took some uh, extra poles that were not load-bearing because the space before had been a lumber storage space, so it needed to like be able to really support a lot of uh, weight upstairs. Oh. And we just didn't need you that mean, as where much. where the podcast studio yeah, became? Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah. It became a venue around us. But we kind of lived outside of that. Hardwick uh, approached me and said that he he wanted me to run it. So I went from running just my show to having to curate all the shows that would be there every night of the week. There were a lot of shows that were brought into the Nerd Melt showroom. One of the most successful was Harmontown, a live show that eventually became a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Harmontown is once again in session. There was also set lists, historical roasts, Dana Gould and Arden Marin had a show called Tinkle Twins. Doug Loves Movies and a number of other podcasts recorded live shows there. And then Rory Scovel and John Doerr had a show called The Jory Hour. I have to talk about something very briefly. It's unfortunate. This doesn't happen often in our business, but... This is a clip of John Doerr and Rory Scovel doing one of their bits on Conan. We have tonight accidentally double-booked comedians for the show. They have both graciously agreed to share their time tonight. So please welcome John Doerr and Rory Scovel. All right, yeah, look at this crowd. This is incredible, you, you guys. Thank you so much. Tonight. I really Should be appreciate fun. that. That's a good response oh, out of the gate. Well, I thought I'd open by telling you I would hate how I got to play here. pool I flew with a zebra. I'm not a fan of flying. I hate it. I hate being because on planes. Because he might say, my stripes so are noises. solid. You know what I mean? I won't flush the and toilet say, oh, on an airplane because of the noise. Like, it scares me. You go, you hit flush. It turned into such a wonderful performance venue that comedian Morgan Murphy taped her hour special in that room. Uh, I'm not gay. I'd just like to start by saying that. I'm not, uh... A lot of people assume I'm a lesbian. I'm not. I'm just sad, and it reads the same. Uh, I don't know when that happened, right? Well, she must love pussy. No, I hate life. Similar. Uh, similar. <laughs> I did roofie a girl one time. One time. And I did not want to fuck her. I just wanted her to shut up. <laughs> that shit works. It's not just a date rape drug. It's a stop talking about your handbag business drug. <laughs> She probably woke up like, oh my God, somebody raped me. No, nobody touched you. We were afraid you'd wake up and keep talking. 
I don't want to offend anybody. I have a lot of die-hard lesbian fans. Die-hard <laughs> lesbian fans. I don't mean they really like me. I mean they all look like Bruce Willis. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. We're just having fun. We're doing jokes. We're getting into it. Let's do it. Let's break it down. This is an example of a venue that is just killing it. They've created an environment that's perfect for stand-up. They have these very successful shows. They have podcasts. They even built a comedy school, and they have a hit show on Comedy Central. And what happens next is completely unexpected. Well, it, it was getting to a point I was missing some, Kumail was missing some, Emily was getting overwhelmed because her career as a writer was really taken off. And the show took care of us and we wanted to take care of the show. And so we started kind of like going like, I mean, should we end it? And there was always this thing we were hearing, there was always rumors about the whole block being raised or, you know, the store going out of business. And we kind of were having like, we're like, well, do we wait till then? They said that might happen in a... Do we wait till we're forced out or? And we were talking and we had already, Kamala and I had filmed The Big Sick. We'd been gone. That was the longest I'd ever been absent from the show. And it fucking broke my heart and I hated it. And we were, we'd come back from that. And then Jonah was like, you know, I'm going on tour with MST3K and I'm going to be gone like eight weeks. And then Kamala was like, well, I'm going to start Silicon Valley. I'm also going to mostly be gone. And it was incredibly important to us that even if we had guest hosts rotating, whatever, the show was Jonah and Kamala. That is what the show was. Ed, myself, we're incredibly important parts of it, but the show is those two guys hosting. And I was facing a three to four month period when I would have neither of my hosts. And I was like, if we have three to four months where neither of our hosts are here, are we still the show? And then like we made the decision, we're like, we're gonna end it. And then we were, uh, were like, okay, we got to tell the audience. And then like, but Kumail and I were like back and forth. Like we needed to do it when all three of us, all four of us were there so we could go on stage and tell this audience that came to rely on the show. We saw multiple people like break into, you know, tears. The amount of people that came to come to the show every week, they made friends with everyone else at the show. There was a, the whole community. You know, we were shutting down the youth center. We let Comedy Central know they kind of were like, if you want to make another season, let us know. And we were like, well, we're going to end the live show, so maybe not. But it was it was tough. You know, people were, were upset. And then um, and then it was just those like those final shows were just like, you know, comics would do their set and then they would talk. It was a, it became a eulogy every week of people just talking about how much the show meant to them and how much the show helped them along. And I, I'm like a, an achiever and I'm just like, just keep it going. Get new hosts. Why should it end? Sentimental value. You're gonna like cut this thing's throat just because like of emotion? What are we gonna bronze it? But if you, I, I just sort of, my heart just sort of hurts. Like we could have maybe kept it going a little bit longer. It didn't work. Rory and Jay tried, it didn't work. But they, those are two successful comics. It should have been young people. It should have been like hungry people. We started on the 26th and we ended on October 19th. I always would stand up at the in the store to let people in and like yell at people to like, the order they can come in and I stepped to do it and just started bawling oh I'm already getting I just started bawling and I was like and everybody was like eh, yay and I was like this is corny this is not what I wanted I didn't but it was just it's just very emotional it's like it was such a um that was my home that was my entire everything for six years and the idea that it was going away it wasn't it, it sounded like it was an easy decision to make but it it wasn't and it was really really hard to follow through on really hard we we do the final show 
I remember ten, like it's like you know it was me, Emily, Kumel, uh, and Ed on stage. I remember like I, I thanked we were all kind of saying our goodbyes. I thanked uh, Kumel for making me a better comic. I thanked Kumel for making me uh, a better person. I thanked Ed for making me a better friend. Um, and then uh, and then I got off stage and then I went into the back green room um, and it was uh, Kent Alterman and Jonas Larson from Comedy Central and like they're like they're like hey congrats uh, how's it feel and I started to cry and then walked into the bathroom and cried for a good five minutes because it really felt like just like closing a book on the what I'll probably always look back on as the the best years of of my comedy life. So after the Meltdown show left, they tried to fill that Wednesday slot with a show hosted by Rory Scovel and Jay Larson, but that failed to gain traction. And eventually Marcella Arguello moved her popular show, Woman Crush Wednesdays, to that slot. The people running Meltdown at the time, they were looking for a, a great Wednesday show. And, you know, the Rory and the, and the Jay show had, hadn't done great. And not because it wasn't a great idea, but because the two men were so busy, it worked out because they, they were really looking to fill that spot. I just had this great new exciting show and it was doing so well. And then all of a sudden it was over. On March 30th, 2018, the Meltdown Comics and the Nerd Melt Showroom permanently shut down. It's just hard. That was like the most magical place I could imagine. It is impossible to keep a retail comic book store open. Gaston is a, a magical hero for keeping it open as long as he did, and he didn't want to anymore, and I get it. Did you hear about a show that was outside in the parking lot? Yes, I did. What was your response to that? I was like, my whole career there, all I was trying to do was keep people out of that parking lot <laughs> so that the people in the apartment building would not be disturbed. Would not be disturbed. We wanted to be good neighbors. We were trying desperately not to get closed down the whole time we were open. So I was like, it makes perfect sense that after we close, what are you going to do? Call the cops? There, there's no venue there. You can't get them in trouble. It's such a great idea. I mean, Howard Kramer is a genius. Yeah. And now is. it's like a walking tour. Oh, no, it's happening. Jonah texted me the other day. He was like, I was going to a movie and I just ran into squat mill. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, apparently that can happen. <laughs> okay, final question. On a scale of 0 to 100%, how close did this Meltdown show come to your goal, to your vision of what a stand-up show could be? 100%. 100%. Wow. Yeah, I think... I, That's I don't, incredible. There's nothing... In life, how often does that happen? Yeah, Never. The History of Stand-Up is written and produced by Wayne Fetterman and me, Andrew Steven. Executive produced by Jeff Umbro and The Podglomerate. You can find more of their podcasts at thepodglomerate.com. Just want to say a very special thanks to Emily V. Gordon and Jonah Ray. Thanks also to James Adomian and everyone at Forever Dog. Be sure to check out his new show, The Undercurrent. Marcella Arguello. Catch your show Woman Crush Wednesdays every Wednesday night at the Hollywood Improv Lab. John Doerr. Pete Holmes, who has a great new book called Comedy Sex God. Find it wherever books are sold. Nick Kroll, Dana Gould, 
Howard Kramer and everyone at Earwolf and Stitcher, and the Abraham Comedy Archives. Some of the music in this episode is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Please follow us on Twitter at Hist of Standup and online at thehistoryofstandup.com. If you like this show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe.